0: Morton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, appreciate you taking time out of a busy diary just now. I know you're just back from Scotland. Um, can you um, give us a bit of background about yourself and who you work for and what your role is?
1: Of course. Um, and thank you for inviting me to this um, podcast. Um, my name is Morten jort and I, I work for the Danish Board of District Heating and for The last 10 years, I have been working um, in, all, actually all over Europe, but especially in the UK, mainly when we say UK, mainly Scotland, um, on promoting district energy. Um, That's the role of the Danish Board of District Heating. We're here to promote a sustainable city development, I think we say, as our mission statement. But of course, it's centered around um, district heating. Yeah. And district cooling, but mainly look at district heating, of course.
0: Yeah. Now, Martin, we, we first met in 2014 when when I came across um, and and you hosted a, a party from, from Scotland, and um, and and it was an incredibly um, enlightening and impressive uh, visit because uh, where Denmark and certainly where Copenhagen uh, is. Uh, in terms of low carbon uh, district heating was really impressive. And and we toured some sites. And I remember going, I think we initially met, I can't remember the name of the location, it was a control centre. And I always thought it was like something, a half between Star Wars and... and (laughs) 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 It was this incredible control room where technicians were controlling the load and the dispersal of heat across the city. But but that hasn't come out of a vacuum. That 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 level of investment, that level of of technology that you have in place just now, can you give us um, g- give us the journey or where? How has Denmark made that journey from the last fifty years? Because there was a you guys had a big oil crisis, big energy shock in the seventies, yeah. Yeah,
1: um, the takeoff of district heating in Denmark um, actually it happened a few times, but. Mm. Um, in the 70s, we had the oil crisis. At that time, Denmark was more or less 100% dependent on imported oil. Right. Um, we did find oil. We did find gas in the North Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a big concern for the Danish government. Mm-hmm. And prices went berserk up and down and up and down. So we, like many places, had um you can't drive your car on Sundays and things like that yeah. to save energy. And for ordinary people, they one year they were in deep fuel poverty and the next year um, they were not. Oh. There were people who was not able to afford to heat their homes. Really? And at that time, we knew what district heating was because mm-hmm. there was a situation in the 50s, 60s where... Um, There was also some smaller district heating plants being built simply Mm -hmm. because that some really dirty oil was very cheap. And um, then it was cheaper to heat your home that way. So we Mm -hmm. were not on, district heating was not unknown to Denmark. Mm -hmm. But then the government said we need to do something. And they went down um, district heating route and uh, energy efficiency route for, for private homes and for buildings in general, so to say. So, at the same time, we did district heating and we did energy efficiency um, yeah. improvements. And um, then, step by step, you saw different laws, different incentives um, come in place. Um, zoning, we can discuss that. That's yeah. a really interesting um, idea. And we can discuss that in a second. And step by step, district heating grew and grew and grew. And you asked me my background. My, actually, my very first job in, in, in um, district heating was my father convinced me to dig the trench from the main pipe to our to our house. I can't yeah. remember the year. I have to ask my mother about that yeah. one day because it was cheaper than letting uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the professionals do it. I'm guessing I was like 12 or 14 yeah. years old. Yeah,
0: well, well. That
1: was my first little work in
0: district so, so you you guys had come from this place of of energy, and it's really interesting the parallels uh, to what's going on in the UK just now. You, I know that you you do a lot of work here, but um, but but in case you don't know, I'm sure you do. We've we've had significant energy increases because of how we buy procure um, natural gas. So, you you guys were in that energy insecure place, which which had almost catastro- catastrophic effects on your economy in, in terms of. You were saying there about rationing of fuel and 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 so on. Uh, never mind the societal problems that that that, that would have. Um, so, nineteen seventies um, start to see um, strategic planning, uh, and and then how is that brought forward? Is it led by local authorities? Interestingly, what you were saying, I think, is uh, of interest to in me. Is it's not just district heating on its own; it's reducing the demand through energy efficiency measures measures within within homes as well. Yeah.
1: Mm. Um. Yes, um, it is. We have had energy efficiency measures in homes supported into the tax incentives and so on. But right. to be honest, I don't know enough about that to discuss it in detail. I just know that it has happened at the same time that we have had all these different act, um, incentives going on. So we have a, a, pretty, well, a pretty good, um, 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 what is it called, building stock. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it's strange because, in a way, you can say um, that the national government came with um, legislation and support schemes. They set the big direction, and um, on um, on zoning, Mm -hmm. on how much um, where so the zoning was decided in which part of a city we should have natural gas, which part of yeah. the city we should have district heating, yeah. and which part of the countryside mainly. Yeah. Neither of them should be because there's also that, of course, there's places um, where you would yeah. not have any uh, any um, shared solution at all. And sure. um, we had um, rules saying that you can't produce electricity without um, selling the heat or giving away the heat. So the CHP were forced. So now we have a lot of smaller CHP all over the country and so on. At the same time, <clears throat> um, they supported the local authorities, the municipalities right. in developing zones, in developing the district heating systems. Um, they made it possible to have cheap loans and, so on and so forth, a lot of small activities. So it was both a top-down from Mm. national government downwards pressure. At the same time, there was a strong interest in the municipalities to do something because they could also see that the situation with the oil crisis was really, really bad. So there was also a bottom-up activity. Has that been a smooth process in all the years? Oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure if you see it from the outside and you don't dig into the small details that has been concerning somebody for for a short period of time, seen from the outside, it has been a smooth process Mm -hmm. with um, a long-term goal. And even when government shifts, it hasn't been like we've gone from one goal to the next goal. Yeah. There's been broad coalition, broad agreements on both energy and climate for many, many, many years. I
0: I think that's really important, isn't it? So you've had this consistency around the broad policy objectives, which haven't changed regardless of the administration that's that's come in. And that's, that's a sort of bedrock for good policy and how it's made, isn't it, where you have a... A consistency of their approach that that that's a broad church that, that all political parties agree with i'm interested in and so you you've explained this to me before in, in quite in great detail but i'm interested in two things i'm interested in that i suppose collaboration between government and local government and and i'm interested in the zoning the zoning is really um interesting where that happened was did that happen at central government and i suppose what i'm interested in is uh, we have the local um, heat and energy efficiency strategy, of course, a bit of a mouthful for a podcast, but the LHEs in Scotland, which I, I think is maybe reading too much into, but that's potentially going back to the kind of blueprint that, that that Denmark started to have maybe several decades ago about how we how we perhaps zone. Would that be fair to say?
1: I think, yes,
0: hmm.
1: in a way it does. Um, there are similarities um I think we should first shortly discuss why do you make a zone? Yeah. Yeah. And um, people say, well, then you force everybody to have gas or district heating. That was what we did. Um, today, we always talk about you forced people to have district heating and it's so bad and they can't have any choice. Yeah. But the other part that was in the other zone was forced to have natural gas. Yeah. Is that, isn't that equally bad? Well, today we know it's worse, yes. but <laughs> but um, we didn't know that at that yeah. time. But the reason why we have a zone is that we have these huge, huge infrastructure investment in pipes. Yeah. And if you don't create a zone or a set of customers, and that's what you actually do in the zone, you create a set of customers who, who will be the district heating company or the natural gas company's customer for many, many years, then nobody yeah. will make the investment in this pipe infrastructure. And we all know it costs a fortune. Yeah. So in reality, that's why we make the stones. At mm-hmm. that time, we may have had an idea that climate and environment was important, but it didn't matter. At that time, it was a matter of creating stable prices and fairly low prices. Yeah. And predictability was also very important. So the reason for a zone simply is that we guarantee the investment. Right. And we force people to pay the fixed fee. Yeah. Yes, we did. But the alternative was crazy um, um, price sure. fluctuations from yeah. before. So it was not. People didn't feel forced as such because um what they had before was sure.
0: worse. The alternative yeah, the alternative was was significantly worse.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. what is important when I'll continue on the zoning because it, sure. I think it's very interesting is and you do the same in Scotland now with your new with your new um, can yeah. I say legislation around yes. zoning. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um it's really important that you can demonstrate that for everyone, or the average at least in the zone, it's beneficial for you as the end user to, um, to have district heating or whatever solution the mm-hmm. zoning finds out is relevant for you. Of course, it may not be super absolutely relevant for each, every person, but within the zone, we can actually show in Denmark that three criteria are fulfilled. One, It has to be beneficial to the end user, so it must be cheaper for that person to have district heating than natural gas or the other way around. It has also to be beneficial to the district heating company, Mm. because if the district heating company are forced into making district heating in a zone and lose money, it will go bankrupt. Yeah. These two are fairly easy. It has to be good for the customer. It has to be For the one who buys and for the one who sells. The third one is it has to be good for society as a whole. And here we included cost of pollution and so on and so forth. All three of them has to be approved before you can go ahead. So you have to be really careful that people can understand why you do the zones and how you have come to the results you actually come to
0: but it's it is important to so what you're saying it's important to note there that it's not just an arbitrary decision it's a decision taken that is for the benefit of the end user because those fluctuations in prices are are, are so uh, erratic and, and and so problematic but also for what you're saying that is really interesting because you're creating a, a a certain investment or you're creating certainty around the investment in specific areas and if you if you are zoning areas then and you're you're providing choice to people within that area. That must be very difficult for an investment company to invest in.
1: I would go even further and say it's probably impossible. Yeah. Nobody would like to. If if we allowed for the national gas company and the district heating companies to put pipes in the same street and compete of between uh, yeah. between them for every home, both will lose. Yeah. and society will lose you'll mm-hmm. end up with very expensive solutions for both and people will start looking for alternatives yeah and that can keep be keeping the oil boiler that's not that's not legal in Denmark much more and um, and um or keeping um, or getting a a a small biomass boiler yeah. or Whatever solution, and some will not be able to afford heating their homes. Yeah. So, in this way, most what, and the result of the zoning is, and all the district heating system is that by far most of them are cheaper than the alternative. Mm. They are cheaper than the gas solution. And I think you can say, or at least you could say, I don't know today with the prices gone berserk in the last few months, but let's forget that for a second. And you can say the same about the gas zones. They were also cheaper than cheaper. district heating. Yeah, and yeah, but you need to trust the government in your calculation. If you don't do that, yeah, then but, yeah.
0: But presumably, I suppose by creating and and I think what we haven't touched on and and a lot of people listening to this uh, won't won't fully understand the scale of district heating in Denmark. But perhaps you could, before we talk about perhaps how local government has led on the implementation of district heating. When we're talking about um, district heating in Denmark, and particularly in Copenhagen, where I was, I think it's important that you can frame it much better than me, Martin. But this is about how you achieve economies of scale across different tenures, across different building types, yeah, across different, um, uh, different uses, yeah?
1: Yes. Well, first, I think it's important to remember just a few numbers. I like to share numbers now and then. Um, Two thirds, roughly two thirds of all households in Denmark are heated by district heating. If you look to the larger cities, it is a hundred percent. Of course, it's not a hundred percent; it's ninety-eight or ninety-nine percent. But two thirds of all households, hundred percent in the larger in the larger uh, cities, um, and um, it's always today. It's really interesting to look at how sustainable. Yeah. district heating, and um, we are now again at just under 70% sustainable fuels into our district heating system, and that number is going up, 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 up. Mm-hmm. Um, two years from now, we won't have any coal anymore. Coal was very important in the beginning. Yeah. Then it was gas. Now it's biomass and all the different solutions you can imagine. Yeah. So And coal is out. Gas is going away step by step by step. So um, soon we will be very green. So yeah. And your question was, I couldn't remember. Well,
0: that. well, I guess when we and I think this is where you are, you're at much more sophisticated, and advanced level than than we are. <clears throat> when, when you look at most district heating projects in the UK, I, I would say they're they're focused around residential housing, mm-hmm. and I think what I was struck by was the optimization of of heating. That you can get from different building types.
1: Um, yes, um, that surprises me as well. <laughs> when when I look when I look at the projects in um, in the UK, it's a university, it's a hospital, it's a housing association, maybe a small part of a city. Um, in Denmark, um, we. We also had small district heating systems, for instance, for housing associations. I live right next to that when I was a kid. There was a um, small district heating system for two or three housing associations. But they grew together. They they, they grow. And then then they were connected and connected and connected. And because a housing association may have owned the boiler and the district heating network, It didn't mean they couldn't sell heat to the supermarket or to the nearby uh, kindergarten or to the municipal office or what. So it has, I think I can say, I'm not 100% sure, but let's say it anyway. I think we can say that um, the district heating companies in Denmark does not discriminate against any kind of customers. They take all the customers down the road, all of them. Yeah. Just because it's an NHS building, or not, it doesn't matter to them. They sell heat to everyone.
0: But the the, the efficiencies that you, you guys have because if if you are and I think you just mentioned it there, if if, if, if in the UK you are providing a a customer with, with a type of heat, if that's a residential customer, then you're you're gonna get loads, peaks, and and or you're gonna ah, yeah. peak times in there. And I think what I was interested in was where you had educational buildings where you would take Heat from there, or you would take the capacity in your network from manufacturing, from uh, residential and schools to to optimize that load. And I think that what you and I guess what you guys do at that at really well at that scale is 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 make that super efficient through mm-hmm. through that switching of load. Yeah? yeah,
1: the way a Danish district heating company is organized, um, of course, they're here to provide heat yeah. to all the customers. That's what they do. But the laws say they have to do it as inexpensive, as as cheap as possible. Yeah. So they are constantly searching for ways to optimize um, the entire value chain. Can they find heat that is cheaper? They use that. Can they optimize in the end user? They do that. Can they optimize in the pipe network? They would do that. Yeah. Um, and it becomes easier when you have very many different types of customers. Um, um, and just having many customers is also important because a very simple example is that some shower in the morning, some shower at noon, some shower yeah. at, in the evening, some shower late at night. And they all create their own little peaks.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: But if yeah. you have enough people, that yeah. will smoothen out. It doesn't mean we don't have peaks and, and variants in the consumption during the day because most people shower in the morning or in the afternoon. But that's <laughs> a different story. It's yeah. just the picture that, and if you have um, um, educational institutions, um, they don't need as much heat during during the night um, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah.
1: If that is optimal for the build building itself is a different story, but it balances out. Yeah. And then um, when you have the zone, you have to remember that in that zone, the district heating company are obliged to deliver heat to everyone who wants it. On the other hand, they also are ab- obliged to connect to the district heating system. So it's not like the company is coming and say, but you have to connect, Dong, and it, you have to, yeah. but we won't give you heat. No, that's <laughs> yeah. not the way it works. It's a it's a both it's a two-way yeah. contract. So um yeah, that's and, it. Yeah.
0: And what, what, what I was interested in because we, we've been talking a lot and I'm I'm not sure how this works in Denmark. So so do you do you charge or do your companies charge customers per kilowatt hour, or is it a service around uh heat and hot water? How does it how does it work in practice for the consumer?
1: In practice for all consumers i would say they pay um annually they pay a fixed fee normally based on the number of square meters um, they have so you it's a capacity fee
0: yeah
1: yeah you if you have a large home you pay more if you have a small home you pay less yeah um if it's not on square meters it's on how much you can draw from the system because yeah. that's yeah. Yeah. And then you pay for um, what you actually consume. And if you look at the fixed and the variable part, a rough number would be that 70% of the cost of district heating is the variable part Mm. and 30% is the fixed. But it goes, it doesn't, we don't have the same price for all um, district heating companies across um, Denmark it varies but it's a well rough sure. estimate
0: 70% is there just just go back to those zones and and I know I'm fascinated by your by your zoning but but what so presumably your zones and and this is my perception it might not be the reality is that so you created these zones and then you have these fantastic economies of scale of 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 companies or local authority led sort of energy services companies did that then mean that your zones were continually assessed so that you were creating the potential for those gas areas that had originally been zoned to to move over to district heating? Has there been a continual process of assessment of zones and recategorisation?
1: In the beginning no, Uh. no. Um, Because the, the reason for making the zones was to make it possible for the distribution company and the gas companies to have a long-term perspective on their investments. Yeah. And um, and when, when that decision was made, it was made. And yeah. we didn't change it. And I don't know if there are situations where something went really um, weird and then they changed it. But in general, no. Yeah. But recently, we um, <clears throat> it has um, you see a lot of gas conversion projects where and the district heating companies go out into areas with gas, with a good offer, mm. a cheap price, a green offer, a sustainability, and so on—all the arguments you have—but good price is, is the winner, of course. And they go out in gas gas areas and convert right. these areas, and they're part of a, a gas zone into district heating.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Um, but now. Their people have a free choice. Hmm. So it's not forced connection or stay on clauses. It's if if you want to join, you're welcome, and you'll have a short notice period, and then mm-hmm. you can leave again. Oh, really? So okay. it has become more and more a competitive market right. situation. Yeah. And there, in this situation, you compete against the gas, because that has one price, and you also compete against heat pumps. Um, because people could also invest in heat pumps. There are problems with heat pumps, of course. Also, um, and, and I'm paid to say that district heating is the best, so it is.
0: <laughs> but the, I mean, it's it's fantastic that you know you've you've. I think you've got about two two million. I think there's about Scotland and Denmark are very similar in terms of their um, in terms of the population size and. Um, uh, and you've got, I think, I read uh, around two million households on, on district heating, which must which must provide fantastic economies of scale. Um, before we just talk about, because what I'd like to talk about is that relationship between um, central government, between Danish government and the local authorities, and perhaps the lessons that we can learn specifically here in Scotland around Um, But also, if you can just tell me, because one of the things I was quite fascinated by when we were over in, in Copenhagen was your ability to trade energy with other regional countries. And I think you um so you have a lot of wind is, is a lot of wind in, in, in Denmark. Mm.
1: Yes. Um let's start there. Um we um we have a lot of surplus wind now and then when the when when the wind is blowing we just talked about it yesterday in, in Western Bartons that um we um the Viking link to to the UK has been is is it it's I don't know if they started building it um or if but yeah. it, it's there yeah. we build a connection now to the Netherlands because the electricity part is a much more market driven
0: yeah
1: um, can I say product yes yeah. it is
0: a product yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: because I also like to see heat as a product product we can come back to that in a second but heat is a local thing you can't transport it that far away yeah so and that I sometimes see a challenge that people compare the way you can you can make open market situation in parts of the electricity market. People see they can also do that in the heating market, but you can't because I can't buy heat from Germany. No, at least not when I'm in Copenhagen for sure.
0: No, all, all, you can't transport
1: world. it that far.
0: I, th- I think I think you've been a bit tough on yourself because I remember having a conversation with you. About you know, I think it could have been between Alborg and Copenhagen, where there's a 36 mile or 36 kilometer uh, pipe network, and, and and I think it lost a degree. So oh, you know, yeah, I th- I think I think your idea of of your idea of of uh, of of success in hmm. ours is slightly different. So so you certainly can at that kind of regional level of heat, but no, I take your point. You can't you can't trade heat between France and Germany and, and things like that.
1: And then actually, there's a project coming up on both sides of the Rhine, where it will maybe happen soon, oh. but, but it has to be nearby. Yeah. So, and it's a fantastic yeah. project they do there. It's a really, really interesting project. You remember your cities in in, uh, in Denmark um, not 100% correctly, or maybe oh. they have been moving them around <laughs> since I checked last time. I maybe. don't know. I can, but we have transmission companies. And in Copenhagen, um, from north to south – 50 kilometers maybe wow. one big system connected into one and east west less but hmm. for easy remember um, for to make it easy to remember remember 50 50 is kilometers is kind of the system right. and there you move around heat freely yeah and there are many companies and you buy and sell from each other there's also a bunch of different producers of heat Um, And that's why I like to see heat as a product. Yeah. Because every day, um, and you remember the control room you visited, actually the office where they calculate who should deliver heat today is right next to that room. And um, then they decide if it's the Örsted CHP plant or it's where should the heat come from. And that is a competitive, kind of a competitive um, situation they have. Yeah. But they also get more and more surplus heat from industry and supermarkets and what have you, all these places. So going from a situation where you deliver heat to more than a million people from two or three really, really large units, Yeah. step by step, more and more is coming in, heat pumps and surplus heat and yeah. a little bit of geothermal heat and this and this and that comes in. Yeah. The calculation of the, finding out who should deliver heat tomorrow is really difficult.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the idea of heat as a product um, becomes more important because when can you deliver it? At what time of the day or the week or the year can you deliver And what is the temperature? Yeah. Because who cares about cheap heat during the summer? Because there is plenty of cheap heat around. Yeah. But cheap heat in a peak load situation in the winter – everybody wants that
0: <laughs> yeah sure
1: sure and and so it, it is becoming more affordable, I think
0: but you I, I think to to for people who are listening and who are not familiar with uh with district heating or, or district heating in, in in Denmark is that that from that wind or from that electricity a lot of what you're doing is simply heating really big vats of hot water and pushing that around the city from place to place yeah. <clears throat> Is, yeah. that a, is that an oversimplification?
1: Yeah. And, and, nah, no, Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, the importance of heat pumps and boilers are growing. Uh, Definitely, uh. it grows every day. But the vast majority of our heat still comes from a few really large plants. Yeah. And one or two real large plants, for even for small district heating companies. But heat pumps... Every week, somebody talks about, now we're planning a heat pump, now we're inaugurating a heat pump, now this and this, and so on and so on with heat pumps. That is becoming very important. And the good thing about heat pumps is that when electricity prices are low, meaning there's too much electricity in the system, so to say, then the heat pumps can use it. So you do society a favor. By (laughs) helping them out with all that surplus electricity. And because you can store heat for very long, up to half a year maybe, then when electricity prices are high, you don't use the heat. because That's good for society. Then you just take what you have in store. Or you start start up your biomass um, CHP and produce some electricity. And the the byproduct, again, is heat. But that, so that, that, that's it's growing, a, but not. I won't say it's really, really big yet. The heat pump, but it's but, growing.
0: But that that type of sophisticated market, which is, which is for the good of society, that that's something really that government has to get involved directly in, in terms of the setup and implementation. Because if what you're talking about is is still market, but not market led, but it's 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 where it has. Um, a, a, a societal benefit at the heart mm. of it rather than the commercial one. Is that fair to say?
1: Yes, um, I think that is um, somewhat fair to say. But if you look at the, each individual managing director of a district heating company in Denmark, in their mindset, they are commercial mm. because they have to deliver the best product at the lowest price to their consumers. And if they don't, they lose the competition. Yeah. So in in a way, the mindset behind them, the way they think, is commercial. Yeah. They yeah. just work on projects that have a depreciation period of forty years, maybe. Yeah. Um, they yeah. really long term in in their mindset and and um, and for them, playing using the electricity market to to find out if they should invest in a heat pump. That's a
0: commercial decision, right? Okay, oh, yeah. And and Morton, so I mean, you 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 you're obviously at such an advanced stage. You know the 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 the, the significant um, infrastructure you have and and and, and district heating. Uh, what do you think? Because you've been working in Scotland for a, for a number of years now. I suppose the questions <laughs> I would have to you have to you is how do we? I think to 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 emulate. Um, Denmark would take many decades. But what what are the things that we should be doing just now? Who should lead that? Um, what are the lessons that we should learn from you? Because I'm I'm sure that in the last fifty years, your policymakers would would probably go back and tweak things and change things. What who should lead? How can you lead? What's the things that we should learn from from Denmark in terms of of districting? Because I think I, I have to say I'm a I'm an advocate. And Jeff and I were having this conversation. He's he he slightly disagrees with me. I I think that. That, that cities um, uh, in general are, are, are perfectly placed to to optimise shared heat across um, different sectors and including residential. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of sold. But how do we start to roll that out? Because that's a that's a big challenge when when in a country like Scotland, where I think you know 95 of the population probably as uh, an individual system.
1: Yeah. You say individual system. I always react to that because it's an individual system connected to a collective source, yeah. the gas.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah. You also have an individual system, but that's connected to a district heating system if you want. But that's just playing yeah. with words. Sorry. Yeah. We, we, we can go there next time. We a, meet for sure. a, a no,
0: that's a good yeah. point. That is a good point. Yeah. And
1: your question was um, how to get started what to do, what can others learn from Denmark? I think after being in this industry for 10 years now, um, one thing that's important is it's not the technology. Hmm. The pipes in the ground work. Yeah. And you can, as you change your mind, we started out with oil. Then we had coal, and then we don't like coal. Then we have biomass. Then we don't like that. We have electricity. So you, Depending on, over the years, what you like, which fuel sources you like and which you don't like, um, then um, you can change your mind. You're not stuck with one thing. And that is one of the great advantages of district heating. It's extremely flexible. And if you have, like, in in a a large system, multiple sources, if one day the electricity prices are low, then you use your heat pumps. If the next day prices are high, you use your CHP. Yeah. So you can use that. that was, so it's not the technology. Um, I think the most important thing. I was part of a study financed by um, by um, the European Union, and we should find out what is best practice in planning and construction of district heating networks. And the best advice on construction was: do your planning well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that was fun because we also asked the question, what is, um, what is, the, what is um, best practice in planning? Planning, 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 that's an yeah. essential part of it. And that's, of course, aerial planning, but it's also more general heat planning, finding out who needs what and when.
0: Mm.
1: The next step that is important to understand very clearly is who is going to benefit from these systems? And if you know who's going to benefit, you also have a very clear idea about who should invest in this yeah. system. In Denmark, we both have municipal systems like Aberdeen, like Western Bartonshire and many other places in the UK. But we also have co- cooperative systems. And in many ways, they look the same. Mm. Don't tell them I said so because <laughs> they think there are differences, but in many ways, what they are in the end, they are end-user owned, and the end users, the customers, decide what they want to do with the district heating system, and that's why, and that's why you say city-led systems seems to be a really good idea. And in a situation in Denmark, they are. A very yeah. Good idea. Why is that? Um Because I think. Is that I think it's the obligation of a city yeah. to provide a place the city where people like to live, mm. where they like to work, where the roads function, where the sewage system is working well, yeah. where um, the cultural life is great, where you can go to some great pubs and have a good pint of ale, yeah. and you can um, heat your homes. In a green, not too expensive, and um, way. Yeah, that's what a city should provide,
0: and and, and that,
1: many cities provide that.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. and that's interesting because what you and this is a trap that I fall into far too often is to look, <clears throat> to look at the work that we do in isolation of society. And what you're saying there is that planners and city, the the this the this, this sort of. Um, um, cities look at things in a much more holistic, a much more societal way of which district heating is a part of that and a very, very important part to provide warm, dry homes. So it's, it's, it fits in with with city. In fact, I was talking to, to Michael Jones who's who's head of housing over in, in, in York City Council and, and he's his attitude very much is about providing communities. And so so I, I talk in isolation about insulation or, or heating, but but it all fits in and ties into that that ethos of of, of good quality, livable communities. And, and, and that's where District is an integral part in, in, in places like Copenhagen.
1: And you see cities that will go through fire and all the trouble to attract a large data center or a large uh, yeah. um, commercial industry um to them because it creates jobs, it yeah. and, and does so many good things. But if you yeah. then look at for at a A city like Hamburg, they sold the whole thing. The the whole um, utility services, they sold some years back. Now they bought it back.
0: Really? Yes.
1: And I can't remember the price, but it was just shy of a billion
0: euros. And 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 why did they do that? Yeah.
1: Because they want to control what happens in their city. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, so it's so important. It's so important because it has yeah. such, and I, I think that's perhaps where you know, as Europeans, you guys get that in a way that us Brits perhaps don't as 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 much. You you understand the connection between um, heating buildings and and community and society perhaps more than than, than, than we do. Mm. Uh, Morton, I'm I'm conscious we're we're kind of running out of time just now. It's been a, a really great discussion and, and, and fascinating. Um, for, without without trying to press you too hard, what what lessons can first of all there's, what I think it would be good to chat about is I know there's a project that you've been involved in in, in Western Bartonshire. Could you tell us a wee bit about that? Also, Aberdeen Heat and power, I don't think it's anywhere near enough the press that it should because it's a fantastic... I was up there a good few years ago and it's a fantastic project in terms of the size and scope of, of district heating in Aberdeen. Um, but can you tell us a wee bit about the project in Western Bartonshire? Hopefully I'm going to be able to come across and see it with you in, in, in the 11th, hopefully. Mm. Um
1: I think they have a great project there. Mm. I think it's a um they had a brownfield area, brownfield area, the Queen's Quay. Yes, that's right. Um, old shipbuilding area. Um, they cleared that. Um, then they made some proper planning and found out that they need some housing, some elderly homes, some this and some this, all the way down, all the way to the Jubilee hospital. Um They were very committed that it should be district heating because it's a green solution for them and they could calculate it would be affordable. So um, in that way, and then they just started doing the planning. Hmm. And here you see that um, the city council, Michael, John, Adam, these guys, they have said, we want to lead on this. So they have built an energy center. We were out seeing it yesterday Two. Heat pumps, four megawatt in total, I guess, and a gas boiler for backup. Right. And is that green? Yeah, the heat pump is green, trust me, and that runs most <laughs> of the time, but yeah. you need some easy backup. And today, that's unfortunately gas. We'll find out something else later.
0: Yeah.
1: And now they're just step by step connecting more and more customers to this system. One day they may even connect the hospital. And mm. what they have, and what is impressive with the way these guys have done it. Is they had a plan, they followed it. Yeah, there were hiccups and bumps on the road, trust me. But they found ways to solve that. And already now they're talking about when we cross that street and when we go towards the mall, when we do this, we can also have that housing association. And and some of them are um, electric storage heaters today. Yeah. And yeah. I doubt that's the. That's the, the that's the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this idea of doing what you do now, getting new customers, putting pipes in the ground, and still have, we need to go further, we need to go further. Yeah. And they have a nice big energy center. Yeah. It's way too big for the customers today, but it doesn't matter because now they can grow the pipe network.
0: I think that's a really good point. Is that They're building capacity. And interestingly, um, unlike lots of projects we see, as it's a project that is is set up to grow, yeah, rather rather than than stay static.
1: And you, if we then look at Aberdeen, yeah, they're one hundred percent alike, mm. set up to grow, yeah, led by the municipality. They knew what they wanted and they started it. Um, I'm pretty sure some of Somewhat nervous when they started, <laughs> yeah. but they managed it. And um, the next year, Ian, Ian is up there. He's yeah. driving it forward really nicely. And yeah. well, I like the way I like what I see up there very much. And they extend and extend and grow and grow. And now they discuss how should, what should the future be? They started with gas, but with a clear goal of becoming green someday. Yes. Yeah, sure. And many cities can do that. Yeah. gas is not a problem if you want to take it out later and yeah. convert it to something else because now then you have the pipe network then you can start and, doing different things
0: and that's what I've taken what I've taken from this conversation uh, Morton, is that it's it's not as much about the the fuel that you're using although it's important sure but it's the concept of communally um people together to 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 provide optimum heat and then as you see you can you can refine and redefine what, what that source is that you're using to heat those homes. So that's that's the main thing is to collect to collect households together. Martin, mm. we've we've kind of run out of time. It's it's been a really interesting discussion. Is there anything you want to want to leave us with in terms of um in terms of uh, your take? We've got COP twenty six coming up. Are you coming over? Will we see you?
1: I hope to come over. Yeah. Um with a bit of luck, um, a Danish parliamentary committee on climate and energy will come and um, visit um, Mm -hmm. Western Bartonshire, that project. Um, I find it really a fantastic project and, and it's an exemplar. It's not that difficult to copy or be strongly inspired by and do it in so many other places. And I have, Nike should pay me because I say it again and again. My quote is, do your research, do your planning well. And then the Nike quote, just Just,
0: do it. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Yeah.
1: Um, Somebody has to have the guts to make the decisions to move forward. Otherwise, you'll stand back with a little bit of gas and a few heat pumps and and small district heating systems. And that's not what you want. No. You uh, want to present the future generation yeah. with heat solutions or city solutions, I would say. We, we need, and they're uh, trust distributing is a part of that. Yeah, So just we, do it.
0: Just uh, We need radical change. I think I think we both agree on that. And uh, we need radical change. And what, I think what I'm taking from the conversation with you is we need leadership, but we need planning. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: That's fair to say. National leadership. We want to yeah. go that way. Local planning.
0: Ah, I like that. That's that's really maybe that's the title for this podcast: national national leadership, local planning. Morton, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to see you because I think I owe you a pint from the last time you're over. So hopefully catch You in- <laughs> 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 Thanks, Martin.
1: <laughs> see <laughs> you next time. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.